Hi, hello, I'm McKay, and this is GateWorld.net, your complete guide to Stargate. An exclusive interview with Brad Wright, executive producer, SG-1, and Atlantis. For GateWorld.net, I'm Darren Sumner, and this is David Reed. We're here with Brad Wright. Thanks for being with us, Brad, or for letting us be with you. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Uh, so, we were talking about Camelot. Tell us a little bit about uh, your final evaluation, and, and we don't even know yet how the show did on sci-fi. Uh, yeah, we do. Yeah, well, we, we don't. Oh, sorry. Uh, we must. I, I think we'd, uh, I think the night was 191819. 191118119. Very good. So SG-1 mm -hmm. won the night with Camelot. Uh, it's a great episode. Mm -hmm. well, my original concern at the script stage was it, it's, it's, it's two stories. It begins in this Arthurian mm -hmm. town, mm -hmm. and then zip, now we're fighting the, the beachhead, uh, the new beachhead, which is obviously, you know, the part that I was most uh, attracted to because, <laughs> because of the super gate was, is my kind of thing. Um, but, uh, but it worked. It, it worked very effectively. And, and I think the thing that is most remarkable about the episode is that uh, it reflects so well on our in-house visual effects department, because mm -hmm. that last sequence is mind-blowingly good, and that was not done by one of our super-duper effects houses in town. That was done right here in our backyard by our own this mm -hmm. effects team, wow. and boy, did they pull out all the stops. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and uh, the the shots were really nicely designed. Robert participated in, in that, of course. But uh, holy cow, I was just blown away by mm -hmm. and jealous by how good those shots were because uh, uh, now we're fighting over the in-house effects team. <laughs> I was taken aback by the, the shot with the formation of the event horizon, the yeah. puddle, mm. and how it ripples across that massive expanse. Well, I, I, uh, the thing about Beachhead is we were, we were thinking when I wrote the episode Beachhead, uh, Robert and I were debating whether or not that my original pitch was they build it and the ORI come through. Too soon. And, and, and uh, well, I, I wasn't planning on doing it until the end. Mm. Uh, the threat of the ORI came, but they didn't physically come until, until the very end. The, the, uh, the, uh, the priors are, are all we get at first. Mm -hmm. But now they're here. Now they're here. And uh, Vala is back. Mm -hmm. So tell us uh, your overall impression of season 10, how it's shaping up with this new... Uh, I, you know what? Uh, it's great. It's great. Uh, uh, the same uh, energy that we had uh, with the addition of, uh, of, of uh, Claudia and Ben and Bo has, has continued. Uh, it's, it's like a new series. In fact, I was having a conversation with Ben the other day about a, a script, and I said, well, last year in season one, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of how Rob and I think about it, and uh, and in many ways, that's what it is. It's got a whole new energy. Do you think that the show has reached this point where it could potentially go on indefinitely, ER style, where there's a, a cast change every time it's it's necessary, uh, or is this new incarnation something that you view as having more of a finite life, however long that may be? Um, well, sadly, it could have gone on much longer had we rebranded it entirely. Mm -hmm. um, one, of the, one of the problems of SG-1 going into its 10th season and p potentially further on into its 11th is that when a show has been on for a very long period of time, 
the baggage. I don't know, it's not even the right word, but there's a lot of money that is spent that stops going on the screen. That's, that's the reason Star Trek The Next Generation went off the air, not because nobody would want to watch it, but because, you know, Patrick Stewart was, uh, you know, a very becoming a big star and needed to move on. And, and now, of course, you know, he doesn't even do television anymore. Uh, that's, that's what happens to, to a really, uh, you know, successful franchise. Or, and because they, uh, seven years is, is, is the maximum, generally, the business model goes out to, and that's generally how far the actor deals have been been made. In fact, probably they've had to they had to do one year extensions after five years. I don't know the details. I do know that on our show for the last couple of years we've had to renegotiate every year, and that is very difficult mm -hmm. from our perspective. I mean, we don't know a whether or not we're going to get a network pickup, b how much money we're going to get to make the show, and all of those things are contingent on the cast deals that we that we make, and which comes first, right? So it's been difficult the last couple of years. Uh, uh, th this year, I think uh, one of the big advantages of season 10 is we got a great start. Uh, I mean, unlike what most people sit, think in terms of uh, how, how the shows are made, uh, we, we wrap at the end of uh, the September, early October, and people think we all go away. Well, everybody goes away but the writers. Mm -hmm. We just stayed here and kept working, and, and we, uh, we quickly put together uh, a bunch of stories for both shows, which has given us a better head start than we've, than we've ever had, which, again, helps you put money on the screen. So um, uh, for those reasons, I think, I think season uh, 10 and season 3 are starting out gangbusters. Last year you told us that Earth-based politics would be something you would hope to focus on in seasons 14 and 15. Now, obviously, lighthearted, but now more than ever, these seasons are probably very real possibilities. Story-wise, where do you foresee the direction of SG-1 to be at that stage? Seasons 14 and 15? <laughs> it could happen. It could happen, it yeah. It, well... Like, like I just said, though, there, 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 are, there are still pressures on the show that mm. would make it more difficult to go out that far. Mm -hmm. um, the, 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 the thing, when, when we started SG-1, um, it was fun to imagine um, for the fans that this was going on. You know? And that, I think that is one of the fun things about Stargate SG-1 that this could be happening right now. Mm -hmm. and, that, and because it's set in the here and now and because it's a secret program, the longer we are on the air, the more, especially when we are building spaceships and, and, uh, and devoting, obviously, enormous resources to Stargate Command, mm -hmm. the, 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 the harder and least likely, less likely that secret being kept becomes it's it's very difficult to to imagine it's getting increasingly difficult to imagine how the hell is this still a secret mm -hmm. and i think i think that a lot of the intrigue could be in that mm -hmm. if it continues so but, actually maybe we already have separated ourselves to the point where okay stargate is going to be given its own president and it's very obvious now that it can't be our earth maybe possibly eventually exposing the Stargate to the world and seeing where that takes us. Well, actually, uh, I've, I've kind of wanted to save that. 
in in the one of the incarnations of uh, a feature script, that's that was a big part of the story. Really, hmm. uh, for two reasons. First of all, it it's fun, mm -hmm. and 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 uh, and and also because it was a great vehicle for bringing new viewers aboard. Because when if you're explaining the Stargate program to the world, well, you better come up with a cogent and interesting way of doing that. And that would also bring aboard anybody who doesn't know about the show. So, um, so the other, and the other thing I, I, I don't want to do is is make uh, have the show come to a, a an end or such a paradigm shift that there's there's uh, <laughs> BS and AS before the Stargate and after Stargate in, in terms of how the world would be perceived. It would change a whole bunch of stuff in the world. The world would not just go, hmm. yeah, exactly. It would be a big deal. It would be such a big deal that uh, it, would, it would change the nature of every episode beyond that. It would be like a new series. Hmm. And so for that reason it alone, you know, I, I would want to hold that back. Permanently or? Well, for Stargate SG-1, uh -huh. okay. not necessarily a new... A new uh, a new incarnation. The thing about the thing that is that has definitely become true with the introduction of Atlantis, which uh, it might not be successful as as uh, as SG One. I mean, it's incredibly unlikely that it would be as successful as SG One. Um, but you know, three, it's, we've, we're into our third season, and that is successful as a television show by any standard. Nice. And and that proves, I think, that that this is a franchise. Mm. That 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 we um, uh, whether Robert and I do it or not, somebody is going to make a movie, make a miniseries, make another series, uh, create a the the, the massive uh, mul multiplayer role playing game <laughs> is is that's coming out is going to be huge, and 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 uh, stuff like that wouldn't be happening if there wasn't an awareness of Stargate as a franchise. The success of your site, mm -hmm. I mean. It, it, it's there's there's uh, there's a lot of proof <laughs> that it isn't just a little TV show any, uh, anymore. Uh, uh, it's it's the potential for many many platforms and, and potentially many series down the down the road. Do you foresee that the next evolution of the franchise would be one of these shows has got to come to an end? We'll get back down to one series for a while. Maybe there'll be a third. Well, interestingly enough, uh, we have become so—I don't even want to say dependent. Uh, adept is the wrong word too. But we we make two shows. We take advantage of making two shows now. It and it was something we had to do in season uh, one and season eight, respectively. There was just no way we had the money to do either series well. Um, if we didn't share stage space, share have have one art department, have one writing department, there, it's it's a stupid amount of work. But but the synergy you get in being able to share such resources is very very good for the show. Um, and being in terms of being able to put money on screen, mm -hmm. um, and uh, so in other words, that's a long, that's a long way of saying I think we'll try to pair whatever is going on with something else. Mm. For example, if season 10 is to be the last, which 
like you say, probably won't be. But even if it were to be, uh, I think we have we, uh, some commitment from uh, the the studio to to do some sort of miniseries, uh, potentially a, a movie in addition to that, um, uh, keeping the the multiple production going on for for. Uh, for practical reasons, but also and for reasons of building the franchise. Tell us a little more about season ten. What does it offer to you as a writer? Uh, <laughs> uh, it's fun writing, Dalla. <laughs> uh, it's it's one more ball to keep in the air, though. I mean, mm -hmm. the the thing about when when Jonathan and I were originally coming up with a four person team. It, it was a bunch of writer reasons that, that, that drove that. You, two people can split off, and you can hmm. write scenes about these people these, and these people. And, mm -hmm. and uh, it's a, it, you know, it's, it's, you can get four people in a shot. It, you, you add a person to that mix, and it, and it adds uh, a, a level of difficulty in servicing all of the characters properly. Um, my first um, season 10 story is called The Pegasus Project, which was a lot of fun for me because... It w and confusing because it was an SG one that took place in Atlantis. So I had this—I don't know where I was. <laughs> What's going on? So it—it it, it, uh, also included cast members. There's a significant amount of crossover mm -hmm. in Atlantis. We're not afraid of that anymore. We—I we, uh, wanted to keep the two shows separate at first for for the reasons of having um, Atlantis. Well, in season one, it was so Atlantis could could find its roots, and, and then in season nine it was so that the new incarnation of SG-1 could find its roots, and now I think we're both fairly uh, well established, and it's a question of, uh, yeah, sure, we can cross over now. Right story. Uh, and, and the Pegasus Project story uh, involves uh, Daniel in Atlantis, this is where he's always wanted to go, and puts, uh, uh, with, with Vala, and it puts uh, 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 David Hewlett uh, as as McKay back with uh, Carter, which is particularly fun after the uh, events of uh, Grace Under Pressure. <laughs> and there's a little scene I wrote that that uh, speaks to that, which is hopefully very funny. Um, so no, it's a lot of fun. I also like. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I have to say, you know. Robert got the whole Camelot thing going, and 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 I had to do more research than. Uh, I had to catch up a little bit with <laughs> Morgan Le Fay. Who the hell is that? <laughs> this is my series. Let me go back and, and, and work on that. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, most of my time is still dedicated to Atlantis this season. But uh, like I said, we both do both. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like a five-person SG-1 team. Can you put to rest the, the fears of some fans that Sam is being replaced? Oh, Sam is not being replaced. No, mm -hmm. not at all. Excellent. Um, uh, it, the way it's going to work is that because we have more people, uh, uh, the, 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 the dynamic is just going to shift every now and then. Uh, Carter may end up being, you know, uh, in an Atlantis or two. Uh, and uh, Daniel is only in 16 out of, um, uh, out of 20. So, I mean, even then, now you're getting down to a far fewer numbers where we have all five cast members. And in Pegasus Project... Well, six, including Bo, of course. But in Pegasus Project, it was easy. It's just because I put Daniel and Val over here, and I put the rest of them aboard the ship, and Tilk is in his uh, scout ship, and it all worked out just fine. 
So will they all be going to Pegasus as an SG-1? Yeah. Okay. They all went, that's it. They all end up arriving on the Odyssey. Okay. I imagine to follow a lead. Yes. Okay, cool. A lead uh, they come up with in Morpheus. And it's actually a nice, there's a nice twist in uh, Pegasus Project uh, uh, that I don't want to reveal, but it's a fun one. Tell us a little bit about a very cool new character we've heard about for season 10, Adria or Adria? Adria. Adria? Adria? Yeah, Adria. I should let, I should let Robert uh, <laughs> talk about her. Uh, she, she's an interesting uh, character because she, she's the Ori cheating um, if an Ori had come to lead their armies in in ascended form, that would have that would have broken the the uh, laws of the ancients, and they would have been fought by the ancients. But essentially, Adria is the uh, Ori equivalent of a Harsesis, which only you guys would understand. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's uh, uh, all the knowledge, or as much as the knowledge of the Ori that they could cram into a, uh, into a highly evolved human. Mm -hmm. uh, and it also happens to be uh, Bella's daughter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I don't think I'm, I'm spilling too much by suggesting that we knew at the end of uh, last season that she was uh, about to give birth, and, and she does. Mm -hmm. right. And that child becomes Adria. And in a very, very uh, great, good script written by Robert, Flesh and Blood, which you should talk to him about, she, uh, she starts to grow. It is freaky. <laughs> Stargate's Milestone 200th is coming up. Yes. It's mm. amazing to see such a great big round number. Uh, what can you tell us about the way in which the show is going to celebrate this milestone? Oh, uh, there will be a cake. Excellent. <laughs> Sony actually sent us a photograph of, of a cake and for our approval, and we looked at it and went, we're getting cake approval? Are you, are you, ser <laughs> are you serious? I laughed. Actually, I almost sent back you an outrage letter and <laughs> saying, you call this a cake? <laughs> I was kidding. Send back no, notes, notes on the cake? Notes on the cake. <laughs> I, ha I have a note on the cake. Oh, it's fine. It's great. Uh, in addition to the cake, uh, we're going to make an episode that is... Uh, I've got to give Robert uh, the credit for coming up with the uh, frame. Uh, although we spun the frame uh, from the original idea, the, the essence of his idea was that we'll all write it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's a lot of fun. And uh, we each took sections, and uh, and my section is possibly the most outrageous. And that possibly, and it's, fans are either going to love it or they're going to hate it. But I thought it was fun. And I figure every, you know, every hundred episodes you should be allowed to go outside the box a little mm -hmm. bit. Yeah. Uh, I hear that everybody wrote it, and I think of things like uh, Simpsons. Well, that's what vignettes, it is. Where it's, 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 it's very much stories a treehouse of horror uh, <laughs> structure. Um, not as, you know, I, I almost said not as outrageous as, as, as uh, Simpsons, but maybe let's just say that uh, we're doing a sequence that is reminiscent of uh, SG-1 meets Team America. We're getting we, puppets. We're doing we marionettes. Seeing any <laughs> familiar faces, possibly? We'll see Willie Garson. 
<laughs> it's a full well, circle. Yeah. He's coming back. It's sort of a full circle uh, uh, thing. Uh, uh, the, the story in its uh, short strokes is uh, Martin Lloyd has, uh, has come to the SGC because uh, even though Wormhole Extreme was canceled after three episodes, it did so well on DVD they're making a feature. <laughs> a, little, uh, a little kiss to Serenity in Firefly, which was... Mm -hmm. Possibly one of the best canceled series in history, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and uh, we're the Air Force consultants on the on the script, and so it it starts with a read through, but the vignettes spring from uh, suggestions uh, by our cast, uh, by our characters rather, and and material in in Martin's script, which is kind of outrageous too. Um, and uh, we jump all over the place. I mean, we are going all over the place in this story. It's, it's out there. In a good way. It's fun. Hopefully, it's funny. Hopefully, it's very funny. If not, it's at least fun. Good. The wraith. Mm -hmm. um, so far, we've identified four types of wraith in their hierarchy. The keepers and the queens, played by Andy. Mm -hmm. The commanders, played by James. And the warriors. Are there any plans to introduce a fifth sect in the Wraith? Um, well, there's going to be sort of an offshoot. Uh, the character of Michael yes. uh, is, is, is almost a hybrid Wraith-human. Uh, and in, in the first two episodes of this season, we're going to discover that, uh, that he's no more welcome among the Wraith than he is among us. He's, he's unfortunately this kind of flying Dutchman character who now has to find a home for himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, and through the course of events in the first two episodes uh, of, of this season, uh, he may or he's he may or may not be out there. <laughs> it's kind of left in the in the uh, in the open as to who where he is and, and what he's doing. But I, I like the notion that uh, that Michael uh, is that. Is that other species that that wraith human hybrid uh, that uh, has issues with both races for and good reasons? It's our race. fault, and it's our fault. Yeah, boy, is it our fault. The first two episodes, it, it, we have very strong reasons to how we get to where we are, um, uh, but but we screw up. The one thing I love about Stargate is is that uh, our quite often our mistakes lead to the repercussions that lead to further stories. Mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, we're doing it probably as much now in Atlantis as we did in the early going in, of SG-1. SG-1 in the later years naturally got better at it and took over the galaxy and everything was fine until <laughs> we called the URI and now, there's, <laughs> now we're back to square one. But, uh, but, but a lot of our experimentation, um, uh, especially genetic experimentation with the wraith, uh, comes back to snap us in the ass. That's maybe saying a statement. What is the reason most of the adult male and female wraith are played by the same actors? Is it solely to make 
a simple job of casting, or do you plan to incorporate a legitimate explanation, say some form of cloning, into the lexicon of the of the species? I think I think that uh yeah I think the latter and the former. <laughs> <laughs> the the latter is the excuse for the former. Right. Uh, the uh, uh, I like the notion of uh, of uh, of if not cloning, but genetic similarity. Mm -hmm. I mean, a cougar is a cougar. You know, most species uh, are, are very genetically similar on Earth. Um, I, I, I picked cougar because I read on some science magazine once that they are very, very genetically similar to each other, and, uh, and possibly the Rathar as well. I had a... I mean, I, I've, my mind's been running through scenarios to as to how many... How the wraith came to be. Uh, I've got a couple of other ideas as to as to as to how that similarity came about, but that's I haven't fully fleshed out that story. To it that explains that. I have a pretty good idea though. About the the male wraith are always identical, but the queens kind of have their own, and the keeper they all have their own identity, in terms of like the makeup job. Yeah, well that's how we define them. We okay. we I mean Andy Andy's been very good at playing different characters within the Wraith. Mm -hmm. um, we're, changing, we're changing it up a little bit in terms of the males. Uh, James has uh, uh, played so many different uh, Wraith, we're actually uh, going to be using different actors to play the male Wraith in the future. The Warriors, I mean, they're, you know, for all intents and purposes, uh, stormtroopers. They are, they are all the same. They're, 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 they don't speak, so it's, it's fairly easy to uh, just make them all the same. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, and we're, we're, we're even, even in the males, we're going to be introducing more individualization. We started doing it last year uh, in, that, um, in the episode um, where, the, where that wraith had a deal with the, with the planet. Uh, the planet one? No. The deal with the... Condemned, uh, yes. What was it called? Condemned, Condemned yeah. Yes. I should know, huh? <laughs> uh, condemned. Uh, I mean, that's that's obviously a, a separate character. Uh, Michael is a separate character. Uh, the wraith and allies, the female wraith and allies, is a very distinct female. Um, and and we're going to do more individualization of the wraith. Uh, there's an upcoming episode in in season three uh, where Shepard is essentially in a in a cell adjacent to a wraith. Um, uh, trapped by uh, uh, a, a famous Jedi commander, <laughs> who uh, hopefully it's Kolya, uh, if he's available, and um, and that wraith has been in that cell for for you know who knows how many years, and and has been separated from the hive, and and oh, interesting. and there's a bit of a difference. between between how he behaves and how he interacts mm -hmm. with uh, with Shepard. Will that be played by James, or are you going to find someone else? It'll probably that? be Chris Hardall who's going to be playing a few hmm. male Wraith characters this year. Compare and contrast what you accomplished last year on Atlantis with Season 3. How would you say the show is evolving this year? Season uh, Seasons 2 and 3 are always, are always building... Uh, seasons. I mean, season one had the very clear arc of, of we're on our own, we're on our own, the Wraith are going to come, we have to ask for help, are we going to make it? 
we're no longer on our own in season two, and and uh, and uh, and 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 so we're the arc is beginning again. Um, so we we're planting new threads, and and I think uh, I think season three is taking advantage of many of the 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 threads that we that we uh, sewed into the fabric of the show in season two, like developing Michael. Uh, for example, uh -huh. um, uh, evolving the the level of complexity of who the Wraith are, building on another villain that we're going to meet in uh, in season three. Because, um, like like the Gould were our mainstay villain for the first few years of of SG one, of course that would have gotten boring eventually uh, if we didn't have other villains. Uh, so we always had one off villains and. Then, of course, we introduced the replicators. Um, uh, so we're going to meet a, a new villain in um, in uh, Atlantis this year who are going to ultimately be the villain that I always originally intended to be, uh, the villain in Atlantis. Uh, the Hot Zone villains, the right? The Hot Zone villains, that's yes. right. That's right. Intended to be the, the, the show's primary antagonist? Well, that, I mean, when I was first coming up with ideas for mm. the series, a lot of things changed, as, as I've told you. Um, when we realized we were doing SG-1 Atlantis simultaneously and, and Robert and I had to reconceive uh, most mm -hmm. of the notions I originally had for what Atlantis could be. Mm -hmm. But I think now it's time to, to introduce a new villain and, and, and those guys are a great villain. I, I want them, I wanted them in, in the Atlantis universe for, you know, for some time. And that's kind of where, that's, they, were, they were introduced in Hot Zone and, and they're really gonna come uh, and, and episodes uh, five and six this year, and our mid-season two-parter is significantly about them. Do you what have a you Do you have a favorite episode so far, or maybe a favorite scene that you just you saw the dailies and said that's going to be cool? I can say I have a favorite episode so far in Atlantis. Uh, uh, we uh, had an idea of a character that we wanted to do a fun one. You know, a balls-out fun one, because Atlantis hasn't done that in the same degree that SG-1 has been able to uh, over the years. And uh, and it was this idea of a character uh, who uh, is essentially, literally, an addictive personality. Uh, it's a notion that Robert had that, that Carl and I uh, spun into uh, an episode called Irresistible. Richard. Richard Kind. And he is fabulous. And you know, you're, you're trying to write a character, trying to come up with a, a, a script. And 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 I was doing some preliminary casting with uh, with LA, and I was looking at a list, and I said, "That's him, <laughs> Richard Kind." And so well, I did a pass on the script, trying to imagine Richard's voice in my head, and and uh, hoping he would accept the part. And this is pilot season. You know, it's very difficult to get. Mm -hmm. Uh, people of his caliber, and he right. just liked the character enough that he, he said, I'm giving up a lot of stuff, you know, and I said, uh, <laughs> I know you are, I really appreciate it. Uh -huh. But he's so great, and, and he hopefully, I mean, we're, of all the characters we're, uh, we're trying to create uh, as recurring, mm. he, he is okay. possibly in the forefront. Okay. Uh, and he, he's just, he's so great, Richard is so great, and one, and, and two, the character is so fun. Because, uh, uh, he, how, how do I put it? He's our Harcourt Fenton Mud of Atlantis. Uh, <laughs> again, there aren't very many people who would get that, but I knew you would. Oh, yeah. Gate World 
readers will get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you see a name like Richard Kind on on a list, does it does it affect your casting decision at all? When you see an actor who was mm-hmm. in the original film, yeah, it does. I mean, I, I I wanted him actually a few years ago for a part, and uh, he he wasn't available. So, but but I've always liked him. Uh, boy, am I glad we saved him for this one because he's perfect for it. But uh, it is neat that he was in the original film. And when we, the first time we spoke on the phone, uh, I, I mentioned that, and he wanted to see our Stargate because <laughs> it had been oh. 10 years or mm-hmm. uh, more than that, 11 years since he had walked onto that set, and he thought ours was still pretty impressive in comparison. Mm. We were talking with uh, Connor Trenier a few weeks ago, and he said he called you guys, or, or he had his agent ask if he could get like a read-through, and five minutes later the part was his. Well, he what happens with casting is breakdowns go out and... and and uh, actors see what's coming down the pipe, and and he kind of went, hmm, this is an interesting character. And uh, Paul, our casting director in L.A., said, Brad, what do you think of Connor Trenier? And I said, book him! Because <laughs> <laughs> I knew he'd be perfect for Michael. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and again, like my, Michael was, was one of my favorite episodes from last season, if not my favorite. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, again, it depended hugely on the strength of the guest star and you know you get a Richard Kind or a Connor Trenier and, and you know you're going to be lose. you can't lose exactly this is a question that's a bit specific and esoteric I apologize okay. in advance one of the storytelling devices that's that's common on SG-1 is that the team is always searching for that one piece of advanced technology that's going to beat our, our unstoppable foe um, all sorts of examples the Dakara weapon the prior inhibitor Merlin's anti-Ori weapon now. Uh, where do you think is the balance between defeating Earth's enemies with technology versus defeating them with ingenuity? Is this is this a storytelling device that you think is part of the SG-1 formula? Well, yes and no. I mean, the original the original thing about SG-1 uh, is that um, it's low tech, mm-hmm. uh, and and low tech quite often wins over high-tech. There's a really good Arthur C. Clarke short story. Uh, it's nothing to do with Stargate, but it, it demonstrates that so well. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, but it, it essentially was a, a, a general from the losing side confessing as to how they, how they lost. And, 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 it, and in every case, they had the superior technology, but there was always, there was always an aspect to it that could be defeated, and and my my uh, way of incorporating that in SG One, I in a, I wrote a scene in The Warrior where O'Neill is talking about a staff weapon versus a, a P ninety, and 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 to try to demonstrate, okay, this is why we win, folks. This is a weapon of terror. Bang! It makes a you know it's incredibly high technology, but it can't. It doesn't repeat very well if designed as a weapon of terror to scare people. Uh-huh. This, this is a weapon. A weapon fires a P- P90. This is a weapon of war. Cuts the thing in half, which you know would happen every time we shot somebody if he really did use P90s. They're very powerful weapons, uh-huh. and uh, and that uh, that to me w- went a long way to help explain that. But uh, as the show kept evolving, it became a a relationship between. Uh, the amount of time we've spent going out among the stars and how much 
stuff we've been bringing back in terms of technology and our alliances with, with races like the Asgard, who owed us enough after we saved their butts so many times to share some of that technology and figured mm -hmm. we earned it, mm -hmm. that we would need Daedaluses and Odysseys and Prometheuses. And, and, uh, and, and so it, it kind of has evolved toward the quest for higher tech from the lower tech. But generally speaking, strategy-wise, it's still the old-fashioned way that wins out. You know? Courage, stuff like that. We don't leave our people behind. That's a huge theme. Well, leading into the, the season premieres in July, if you had a message that you could say, say straight to fans, what would you tell them about July? Wow. Uh, please watch our television show. <laughs> Uh, I'm always surprised by how they, they take, how fans respond to the show, you know? Uh, I, I guess I would say, uh, we are, we are still trying to make the best show we can. Even after all these years, we're still here and we're still doing our best. I, I found, I got a little disheartened last year, um, as fans responded to... As I read fan things on on your forum or or uh, about season nine, were, were all the changes. I mean, some fans just didn't buy it. I get mail, and and um, occasionally I'll open one or two and and uh, looking for some uh, smart criticism. And it's frustrating when when people assume we're being lazy. Or, uh, or um, why would you do this story when you could do this story? Or, or why did you get rid of O'Neill? Uh, yeah. There are there are things that are not up to us. Uh -huh. There are things that are simply not in our control, and we're trying with the resources we have and with the with the uh, with with the limited skills we have uh, to make the best show we can. That's what I'd like to tell the fans. It's, we're, I'm still here, for God's sakes. There are not a lot of showrunners who stick with a show mm -hmm. for 10 years. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't show I, that I give a sh I don't know what else does. And I would say the same for Robert. You know, we, uh, to, to, to read, uh, oh, it's like they phoned that one in. No, that was a lot of blood and sweat, uh -huh. and maybe it didn't turn out as good as you hoped, or as well as I hoped, but this is a tough thing to do, uh -huh. especially when you're trying to make uh, uh, a, a, a television show that, that, that is trying to grow. I mean, it would be very easy, well, not easy, but it would be easier, I think, to just try to make the same show we've always made. But we, 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 we say to each other, no, we've done that. No, we can't do that. We've done that. Or, well, maybe we could do that if we put a big spin on it. We're trying not to just cookie-cutter this, this series out. And, and, uh, and that takes, when you're, when you're coming up with your 258th story, mm -hmm. that takes some effort. And, uh, and I wish, uh, I think the majority of fans are, uh, are with us. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's... there's uh, there's a lot of uh, fans who are are not accepting change because they think we're uh, 
especially the Rick one. <laughs> That's not silly. That's you. just silly. It's not yeah. up to us. In fact, what is up to us is is that uh, is is uh, bringing him back. And and you know what? We've we've asked him, and he's going to come back for for not certainly the whole time, but he's going to come and play with us again. That door was left open, and he's he's going to come back and step through it. And and I think in future years, if if that applies to, you know, that'll apply to me too. You know, I mean, you're right. If there is a season 14, I hope who's ever making it is having a good time. <laughs> it probably won't be me. Uh-huh. I'm hoping I'm hopefully still making something called Stargate, but maybe yeah. it's a movie. Hello, I'm Bo Bridges, and this is GateWorld.net, your complete guide to Stargate. Wormhole disengaged. 